Welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and today I have the pleasure of sharing a conversation with Dr. Karen Cassidy about her book, Freedom from Health Anxiety. Dr. Cassidy empowers patients to overcome their struggles with anxiety, compulsions, phobias, social anxiety, worry, and depression. She approaches each patient with enthusiasm, persistence, and a keen sense of humor, crafting individualized research-based treatment plans for each person. Her goal is to make each patient an expert at managing their own anxiety so they can face any future event with confidence and courage. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Karen. Thank you so much, Shan. I'm really excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I must say, your book, Freedom from Health Anxiety, is fantastic. And our listeners, wow, this is what we hear from them the most, is please cover more about health anxiety and what can I do when I'm fixated on sensations in my body and worst case scenarios, and the list goes on and on and on. I'm so grateful that you're going to be able to help us address some of this stuff. I'd like to begin with suggestions that you might have that can help us lighten up when we have persistent anxiety about our health and how we can assess and address these negative thoughts and feelings and and sometimes symptoms. I want to validate the fact, you know, for everyone who's listening, that this is one of those things in the anxiety universe that often gets overlooked because of the fact that it has to do with medical stuff. And so people get misdirected, they get into the medical system, and then things can just get mangled if your healthcare team doesn't understand that anxiety is the problem. That is, it's very difficult then. And then also, I think a lot of mental health providers get intimidated because they know they have no medical training. And so if there's a physical symptom, then they get caught up in the patient's worry and uh, send them out for tests or doctor things. And it just sort of gets lost in the netherworld there. So if you've been frustrated, you are so not alone. So the first thing I'd want to tell people in terms of how to lighten up is number one, to recognize that the real problem is anxiety. And I think what is so tricky when you have this is that you get lost in the world of the imagined awful future. And the top things that people tend to get worried about are either horrible degenerative neurological conditions or cancer, you know, something that's going to require difficult treatments, leads to disability and death. And then also they tend to be things where there's a myriad of all kinds of different symptoms. It's not like worrying, I have a broken leg. Right. It's pretty easy to detect. (laughs) It's this other stuff. And the reason it can be difficult is if you were to go to the DSM or to read up in any of the scientific literature, you find that when people get anxious, it creates fatigue, headaches, stomach aches, stomach cramping, nausea, weakness, fatigue, shaking, electric sensations, shocking sensations, a feeling of doom, um, all kinds of things that if you were to just go to Dr. Google and type these in, it'll bring up all these alarming diseases. And that is then 
where the sticky part happens because our brains are hardwired to pay attention to scary and negative information. And then the minute we start paying attention to that, we want to get rid of that uncertainty by trying to get reassurance. And so I'm going to guess that most of you who are listening have accidentally gotten into WebMD or Dr. Google and done all this research. Um, And you may even have it on kind of the quick find thing. And then when you do that, it starts feeling like you're getting evidence that's saying, whoa, I really should pay attention to this. This is very serious. What if I have it? And the minute you start getting caught up in that, what if I have it phenomena, it starts feeling real. As in the base of your brain is sending these alarm signals and it's convincing you this must be important and serious. And then it's just a matter of time before you're lost in the worry pit of what do I do? I should get someone to test it out and help. Part of it is kind of understanding that sticky trap. And then when we're helping people, there's a couple of things that you have to do in terms of approaching it. So one is you've got to learn to stop reassurance seeking in response to feeling uncertainty about what if this is what I have. And we know that the more you seek reassurance by looking it up, by talking to other people, and people do kind of these sneaky conversations like, you know, have you ever had a like a bump like this before? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my gosh, Karen, that comes up in our private Facebook group. And <laughs> yes. we, we've asked, we've, we've asked our members to please, first of all, to put trigger warnings, health anxiety trigger warnings, so that people can go past yeah. it if they want. But yeah. there's so many questions about, about these different symptoms and sensations. And we've really mm-hmm. done our best to invite our, our group to remember that everyone is different. Everybody has a, a different experience and that this isn't always the best way to go to have a yeah. bunch of people, you know, same thing with medications. Have you ever taken this or that or the other? And it's like, no, no, please. I mean, I know you're looking for that. I get it but it's not always helpful. And I, I believe that that's what you're speaking about right now. You are right on target. It's that's both of those are just versions of reassurance seeking, which, and I'm sure everyone's heard this term negative reinforcement, where it's a, an accidental reinforcer and contributor to making your anxiety worse. And so one of the first things you have to do is to realize I've got to stop doing that because it makes me feel more intolerant of the uncertainty we all have as a human being, which is none of us knows our future. None of us knows when or how we'll die. And we all have to learn to make our peace with that and realize that's actually normal for everyone to not know. And and then the other thing, you know, so that's one part is to try and break that vicious reassurance seeking cycle. And I talk about breaking up with WebMD. You just can't afford to do this. It's the worst kind of bad love ever. Uh, It's the relationship that will disappoint. And then another thing that is really helpful is if you have a healthcare team or whoever you work with who understands that you have anxiety, because when um, healthcare people don't understand you have an anxiety disorder or a problem with anxiety, then they think, 
maybe I'll make you feel better if I could just give you a test that says everything's okay. And I don't know about you, but frequently when I get my labs back from the doctor, there's always something that's not quite in the normal range, so to speak, but the doctor says, oh, it's nothing. Oftentimes what the doctors will do, they will make those reports available to the patient and the patient will look at those, not really knowing how to read them. And if you already have anxiety and issues with illness anxiety, then you are going to totally freak yourself out by looking at that without the support of your team. Yeah. That, That happened to me years ago where I was like, oh, I will never open those up again until, (laughs) because it doesn't, it doesn't serve me well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny is I have some friends who are physicians and they say, I hate that my chart or these other electronic records sends it to the patient before I can talk it because I have so many experiences of people fearing the worst when actually they're well within the range of normal. It's just the way the computer prints it out and the way they express it doesn't make sense to the lay person. And, and then the reality is there's huge individual variation in everyone's body in terms of what's normal. And it really does have to be interpreted by someone who is knowledgeable. Yeah. Uh, So when you have a healthcare provider who doesn't understand that health anxiety is about intolerance of uncertainty about your health, about your future, about death and dying, then they can get caught up in seeking reassurance for you and they make it worse. I've had situations where I've had doctors someone to me saying, I will not do another lab with this person or test until you tell me that they are cured. The thing I've found is that the average person who is in medicine really wants to help you. They really do care about your health. They're not sloppy like your anxiety might suggest. And when they understand, oh, it's anxiety, then it's easier for them to realize, oh, okay, I need to help you in a different way. I need to help you with anxiety or ask you a question like, well, what would your therapist say to do if you have a therapist? And then in my book, Freedom from Health Anxiety, I actually have a chapter where it has things that you can explain health anxiety to your doctor or nurse and explains how to help truly be helpful to you so that you can get past it because they really want to do a good job. It's just, they don't typically have training in mental health. And then another thing that we ask people to do that helps them get better is to realize one thing that happens when you get this negative focus is that you forget about all the wonderful things in life and you forget about the good health you have. And what's sad is I I've had so many patients tell me, you know, I'm X number of years old now. And and here's the irony is I've been in good health, but I felt like I've been dying for the last 20 years because that's heartbreaking. Yes. Yes, it is. And And so one of the things that we know helps build up your resilience against your anxiety is to do things like learning to focus on what's going well now Mm -hmm. and being grateful for it and seeing, you know, I am the blessed recipient of 
being alive, being well, being, you know, in this moment, even though I also have anxiety and learning how to have those, that scary thought to be able to not have to get glued on it and react to it. And then also to cultivate awareness of what is well in your life, not just with your health, but with everything. And then also we see that one of the sad things that anxiety does is it robs you of your good humor. And one of the ways I know my patients are getting better is that I see them smile and then I start seeing them laughing because when you think you're dying and you're scared to death, everything is a terrible, serious, intense thing. And you forget the absurdity And we want people to even be able to laugh about the fact, you know, wait a minute, I've never been told I have cancer or a terrible condition, the one that I'm so afraid of. And yet here I am worried about it all the time. That is kind of an absurd, laughable thing Mm -hmm. uh, that's happening. And, And I see that people, we have research on this showing them they can cultivate good humor by deliberately watching things that are funny listening to things that are funny, deliberately trying to find the funny in the moment. And so I encourage people, okay, tell me what, what is funny about this? And one of the the cool things about laughter and humor is it forces us to be flexible and creative and to immediately try on a different way of thinking, which is the antithesis of that stuck in negative, worst case scenario, most awful imagined future mode of anxiety. When you bring up worst case scenarios, it makes me think of so many people with illness, anxiety, that's where they live. They're in this loop of fearful thinking, and it just is, it's never ending. And so I can see how humor and laughter would definitely make a difference here. What what else helps when we find ourselves stuck in that worst case scenario? There's several ways that you can handle it that are really effective. And one is to learn to not be afraid of the thought. Because one of the things that I see with people who have this kind of anxiety is they're terrified of thinking about that, yet they feel you know, like they're drawn into a black hole, you know, being sucked in. And to learn to realize this is just another thought. This is just an imagined awful future. And just because I feel it doesn't make it real. And one of the ways you can help yourself with that is to do what we call imaginal exposure, where you deliberately imagine the thought and you take it to its most absurd extreme. And you do that over and over. And what will happen at some point is that your body and your brain get used to it and they stop reacting so much. And when that happens, your anxiety starts to come down. You don't feel so flooded or, you know, crazily triggered. And when that happens, almost, almost everyone who does it, if they stick with that exposure process, then all of a sudden they realize, oh my God, this is absurd. Or I can't believe I'm thinking about this. This is, this is silly. And I actually have patients who might start out crying when we're doing this exposure and at 15, 20, 25 minutes into it, all of a sudden they'll laugh and they'll go like, I can't believe I'm taking this so seriously. And I can't believe 
this has been stuck in my mind and they're able to shift perspective. And it's it's one of those things where anyone who's never done this is kind of like, what? You want me to actually get more anxious and think more about this? I spend all day doing this and I don't want a minute more. And what we see when people are not doing deliberate exposures, they're sort of flitting around the idea and trying to run away from it. They're not actually emotionally allowing themselves to process it and get used to it. And so I'll give you an example, Um, one with a a patient that I met with this week, where she's terrified that she is going to have a metastatic melanoma. And she actually had a little stage one bit removed and, and has been told she's cured, but her health anxiety is like, wow, what if they didn't get it all? And so we did this practice. We started out, what if they didn't get it all? They're wrong. They made a mistake. And all these weird, like that ache and pain I got last week when I was sitting in the pain a long time. What if that is, you know, a metastasis, a tumor that's, and then we advanced it to where, you know, now it's growing. I'm in hospice. The doctors and nurses are crying because it's too late. They can't do anything. My children and grandchildren are angry at me that I didn't wear enough sunscreen and that I didn't use sunscreen when I was very young. And then uh, I have to say goodbye to everyone and what a tragedy it was. And then about 20 minutes into it, and we're talking about how everybody's mad she didn't wear sunscreen. She just started laughing and goes, this is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, my family's not going to think that. (laughs) Right, right. When I listen to you, one of the things that comes up is all of the different movies and exposure Mm. we've had to these really sad stories, these heart-wrenching stories and and things that I invite our listeners to stay away from if they tend to be a little bit more prone to health anxiety because Mm. all of those stories, all of those creations, and of course there's many real world world stories as well, Every night yeah. on the news, there's something else to be concerned about with, with our health if you're watching the news every night. But if, yeah. if you're giving yourself a break from that stuff and realizing, you know, this doesn't contribute, how is this helpful for yeah, me to go there or this obsessive worry about something else? Or, and also, I find that it's not only what we're taking in uh, creatively, whether that be uh, the, the movies that we watch or the media. Uh, also, the experiences that we've had with healthcare professionals who might not be very sensitive or who are, I had one once that was so freaked out about my blood pressure on a given day that yeah. she, and she wasn't coming from a place of malice, but she was really freaked out, which sent me to a really freaked out place. Yeah. And after a period of time and, and doing tests, my own levels and such, um, I was fine when I took my own blood pressure at home. But, yes. I'm, but, I'm, but it's not fine when I'm in a doctor's office. And I know that that's a fairly regular Very occurrence. Common. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking and let you go with it. But those are just things that, that I've noticed over the years is like, okay, let's be mindful of what we're taking in. And let's yeah. remember that not all of our healthcare uh, partnerships are a good fit for us. 
And even if you feel like they might be a good fit, if something's going on, it's okay to talk with them about how they react and respond. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, one thing you're bringing up something is, you know, there's an old fashioned world word called edifying. And I think we forget that our media is based on the premise that negative headlines and shocking headlines sell. Mm -hmm. People even has a whole section of tragic tales of young people who die of tragic diseases. And I use this for exposure practice, but people will gravitate towards that. And you do not, it's, it's not edifying for someone who's trying to learn not to be glued to negative, scary information to pour more of that in. And I, right. I deliberately myself don't subscribe that I subscribe to several news feeds that are the uplifting news, the good news about what people are accomplishing against social injustice. against, mm -hmm. And I do that on purpose so that I can keep my head in the hopeful zone for my sake and for the sake of my family and my patients. And it is not helpful to keep, because a lot of patients will sort of watch that in fascinated horror, feeling like I'm learning something useful. And, and mm -hmm. no, you're not, you're just practicing thinking about the scary, awful, imagined future, which is only one possibility. And then, you know, the idea that I think some people forget is some healthcare practitioners have anxiety disorders and they are doing reassurance seeking by over-ordering labs and tests. Yeah. And I have worked with some of those and I've operated with some of those and consulted with some of them. And they're doing it because they're scared. They don't want to get sued. And then we have others where the financial incentive is if you order more tests, then um, you're more likely to get a bonus at the end of the year because that's how our hospital makes money or how our clinic makes money. Right. And and it is absolutely not malicious, not intended. It's just the way things are. And, and that's why that communication and being clear with who you are and what you need from them is so important. You know, another thing that I like to remind people that, <laughs> that it seems like so many people forget who have health anxiety is actually it's normal for the human body to have all kinds of random, completely benign sensations, including pain. And we're not like a computer or a machine. We randomly notice things, perceives things, and the bulk of things are, they're completely non-significant. And so one thing that's very helpful is to develop an idea in your head or a, or a sort of checklist of, okay, when is something important to pay attention to? And when is it just that random just white noise of my body. And uh, in my book, I have a list based on the American Medical Association's idea of what is truly urgent and requires a doctor's immediate attention versus it does require a doctor's attention, but not immediately. And then all the rest to agree with yourself, you know, I'm not going to practice medicine on myself. I'm just going to let go. And as you said, I'm going to wait. Because one thing we found is that most symptoms that are random are gone within two weeks. And it's like a bruise, an odd thing. I slept funny. I bent over funny. Um, I was picking up my giant hundred pound dog the wrong way. 
or my toddler uh, keeps <laughs> running and flying and jumping on me. And that's what I'm feeling. When you have a clear set of rules that you can trust, because this is what doctors and nurses use, it makes it easier because then your anxiety doesn't have to make the decision. And that's where people can get trapped to say, accidentally let anxiety become the controller and the one that decides rather than their own reasonable thinking that they use every day of their life about other things. I love that because then you start to learn how to better tolerate health uncertainty. You, you yes. get more in touch with your body and you're like, okay, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep an eye on this, but we're good. Let's keep moving forward. <laughs> let's, let's keep yeah. living our lives and doing yeah. our things instead of going down that rabbit hole and creating something that isn't there. And then, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, if we fixate on something long mm-hmm. enough, we can make it present in our bodies. Well, one thing you're talking about is what we call selective attention. And, you know, health anxiety makes you get really selective and only pay attention to stuff that has to do with physical symptoms, which normally we're meant to tune out because most of us don't notice our breathing. But then if I just pointed it out just now, all of a sudden, oh, oh, wow, I can feel my breathing. And if we pay attention long enough to it, it'll start to feel awkward. We're not sure we're doing it right. It'll feel more intense. And and a good example of the selective attention is probably everyone now is somewhere where they're, you're paying attention to this podcast and you're deliberately ignoring the sounds outside of you, unless it's something really unusual, you know, so you're not hearing the traffic or the wind in the trees or the sound in the vents of the air moving through the building or the house. And our brain has the ability to tune things out that aren't important. Well, with health anxiety, it's like that gets taken away and everything becomes important. And so it's really helpful when you notice these things, like you were saying earlier, to be able to go, this is just a sensation, okay? As opposed to what if this is a sign of cancer or other terrible things? Right, right. And so one is to be careful with the language you use, because the way we speak to ourselves and to others has a profound impact on how we react emotionally and behaviorally. So for example, if I right now said, oh, to myself, oh, I notice my side feels a little stiff. It's just a sort of stiff sensation. That has a different reaction when you're hearing me as opposed to saying, oh my God, um, I've never felt that before. Wow. Boy, let's see. It's probably about four centimeters long and it seems to go really deep. I wonder if that's near my kidney. What if it's kidney disease? That would be terrible. You know, I actually had a kidney infection 20 years ago. What if there was damage from that? Yeah. And if you hear the difference, I'm probably making you feel alarmed on my behalf. (laughs) Sure, sure. Listening to that, as opposed to just stopping it, this is just a sensation. And, and to realize, be careful with your language and be kind to yourself by realizing you don't need an explanation for everything. And that if something really is serious, you can trust those criteria that medical personnel use that would say, you've got to get to the emergency room right now, or 
call your doctor on Monday, uh, you know, and, and then all the rest, which is just ignore it. And if it keeps bothering you after a couple of weeks, then call us. Oh my goodness. We could talk for hours about. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but alas, here we are um, coming up on the end of the conversation. And, and so before I, I turn you loose, what more would you like to share with our listeners and uh, where would you like them to visit you? I know you have a number of websites yeah. and I was yeah. going to share the anxiety treatment center.com, but I'm not sure if that's, that would be the best one. That would yeah. be the best one. Okay. So, so we'll let you uh, lead us where you'd like to, to, to wrap things up and we'll go from there. Yeah. I guess the last thing I'd like to mention to everyone who's listening is to remember that it truly is normal for all of us to live with a certain amount of mystery in our lives about our future, about death, about dying. And, and that actually is a normal thing. And we all have questions about it. We all wonder about it. And we want to look at that and remember this is normal as opposed to it's terrible if I were to die someday. So that's one. And then the second thing would be to realize if you really had been told today that you only have six months left to live, which would you choose? Would you choose to be anxious every single day and worrying and feeling terrible about the fact that your life was going to end? Or would you make the choice that most people make, which is I'm going to live it up to the best of my ability. This knowledge of at some point it's going to end. And am I going to make the most of what I have now because of the fact that I know my life is finite and that I will cease to exist at a certain moment. And that is the healthy choice. And health anxiety makes you forget that. And every patient I've ever worked with always says, you know, if I knew for sure I was dying, I wouldn't want to spend it in your office. And I wouldn't want to spend it worrying. And so if that's it's so case, true, it's so true. It's like, there's a part of us that doesn't remember that none of us gets out alive. Mm -hmm. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're focusing yeah, no on. No matter what we do. And yeah. it looks sad. Our culture, at least in the United States or Western Europe, we like to think we can live forever. You know, you see things about this guy who says he's going to live to 130. He's a billionaire and he's doing all these weird, you know, supplements and such. And it's, it's a arrogance in my mind yeah. and that you got to remember, okay, if I really knew that my lifespan was going to end at a certain date, I would not waste it with anxiety. So why am I going to reassure myself by looking at stuff, by thinking about it, by watching this stuff, by giving into my anxiety, I'm going to go out and I'm going to live boldly. And I'm going to do my bucket list now because none of us does know exactly when we will die or how mm. we will die. So that's something I would want to leave everyone with. And then if you're interested in reading my book, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's Freedom from Health Anxiety by Dr. Karen Lynn Cassidy. And then if you want to um, find links to it, you can go to my website at theanxietytreatmentcenter.com. And my wish for everyone listening is that you would make the bold step of deciding now I don't want to get caught in this anymore. I don't want to seek reassurance. I want to rediscover my sense of joy and good humor. And I want to do my bucket list now because why put it off? Mm. And for most people, 
Worrying is never on their bucket list. Right? Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Karen. What a pleasure it's been to have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you so much, Shan. It's been great talking with you too. You can learn more about Dr. Karen Lynn Cassidy at anxietytreatmentcenter.com and you can get her book, Freedom from Health Anxiety, wherever books are sold.